The following is a conversation with Grimes, an artist, musician, songwriter, producer, director, and a fascinating human being who thinks a lot about both the history and the future of human civilization, studying the dark periods of our past to help form an optimistic vision of our future. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast. To support it, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, dear friends, here's Grimes. Oh yeah, the cloud lifter, there you go. There you go. You know your stuff. Have you ever used the cloud lifter? Yeah, I actually, this microphone cloud lifter is what Michael Jackson used, so. No, really? Yeah, this this is like thriller and stuff. This mic this and mic the cloud lifter? And that, yeah, it's it's a incredible microphone. Yes. It's very flattering on vocals. I've used this a lot. It, it, it's great for demo vocals. It's great in a room. Like it, sometimes it's easier to record vocals if you're just in a room and like the music's playing and you just want to like feel it and it's not so it's not in the headphones. And this mic is pretty directional, so I think it's like a good mic for like just vibing out and just getting a real good vocal take. Just vibing, just yeah. in a room. Anyway, this is the Michael, this is thrilled. this is the Michael Jackson Quincy Jones microphone. I feel way more badass now. All right, <laughs> let's get it. You want to just get into it? I guess so. All right. One of your names, at least in this space and time, is C, like the letter C. And and you told me that C means a lot of things. It's the speed of light. It's the render rate of the universe. It's yes in Spanish. It's the crescent moon. And it happens to be my favorite programming language because it's uh, it basically runs the world, but it's also powerful, fast, and it's dangerous because you can mess things up really bad with it because of all the pointers. But anyway, which of these associations uh, with the name C is the coolest to you? I mean, to me, the coolest is the speed of light, obviously. Or well, speed of light. When I say render rate of the universe, I think I mean the speed of light yeah. because essentially that's what we're rendering at. See, I think we'll know if we're in a simulation if the speed of light changes because if they can improve their render speed then <laughs> what's well, already pretty good it's already pretty good but if it improves then we'll know you know we can probably be like okay they've updated or upgraded what's fast enough for us humans because it seems like um it seems immediate there's no delay there's no latency in terms of like us humans on earth interacting with things but if you're like uh like intergalactic species operating on a much larger scale then you're going to start noticing some weird stuff or if you can operate in like around a black hole, then you're gonna start to see some well, render like, issues. You can't go faster than the speed of light, correct? So it really limits our ability or and one's ability to travel space. Theoretically, you can. You have wormholes, so I, there's nothing in general relativity that uh, precludes faster than um, speed of light travel. But it just seems you're gonna have to do some really funky stuff with. Uh, very heavy things that have like weirdnesses that, that have basically tears in space time. We don't know how to do that. Do navigators know how to do it? Do navigators? Yeah. Yeah. Folding space. Basically that, making wormholes. So the name C. Yes. Who are you? Are you, are you? Do you think of yourself as multiple people? Are you one person? Do you know? Like in the, this morning, were you a different person than you are tonight? We are, I should say, recording this basically at midnight, which is awesome. Yes, thank you so much. I think I'm about eight hours late. No, you're right on time. Good morning. This is the beginning of a new day soon. Anyway, uh, are you the same person you were in the morning, in the evening? Do you, you're, you're, 
is there multiple people in there? Do you think of yourself as one person or maybe you have no clue? Or are you just a giant mystery to yourself? Okay, these are really intense questions, but- uh... <laughs> Let's go, let's go. Because I asked this myself, like, look in the mirror, who are you? People tell you to just be yourself, but what does that even mean? Uh, I mean, I think my personality changes with everyone I talk to. So I, I have a very inconsistent personality. Yeah. Person to person. So the interaction, your personality materializes. Or, or, or my mood. It. Like I'll, I'll go from being like a megalomaniac to being like, you know, just like a total hermit who is very shy. So some combinatorial com combination of your mood and the person you're interacting with. Yeah, mood and people I'm interacting with. But I think everyone's like that. Maybe not. Well, not everybody acknowledges it and able to introspect it. Who brings out, what kind of person, what kind of mood brings out the best in you as an artist and as a human? Can you introspect this? Like my best friends, like my, like people who I can, when I'm like super confident and I know that they're gonna understand, understand everything I'm saying. So like my best friends, then when I can start being really funny, that's always my like peak <laughs> mode. But it's like, okay. yeah, it takes a lot to get there. Let's talk about constraints. You, you've talked about constraints and limits. Um, do those help you out as an artist or as a human being, or do they get in the way? Do you like the constraints? So in creating music, in creating art, in living life, do you like the constraints that this world puts on you? <sighs> or... Do you hate them? If constraints are moving, then you're good, right? Like mm -hmm. it's like it's like as we are progressing with technology, we're changing the constraints of like artistic creation. You know, um, making video and music and stuff is is getting a lot cheaper. There's constantly new technology and new software that's making it faster and easier. We have so much more freedom than we had in the '70s. Like when Michael Jackson, you know, when they recorded Thriller with this microphone. Like they had to use a mixing desk and all this stuff and like probably even get in a studio is probably really expensive and you have to be a really good singer and you have to know how to use the, like the mixing desk and everything. And now I, I can just, you know, make, I've made a whole album on this computer. Mm -hmm. I have a, a lot more freedom, but then I'm also constrained in different ways because there's like literally millions more artists. It, it's like a much bigger playing field. It's just like, I also, I didn't learn music. I'm not a natural musician. So I... I don't know anything about actual music. I just know about like the computer. So I'm really kind of just like messing around and like trying things out. Well, yeah, I mean, but the nature of music is changing. So you're saying you don't know actual music. Well, music is changing. M music is becoming, you, you've talked about this, is becoming, it's like uh, merging with technology. Yes. It's becoming something more than just like the notes on a piano. It's becoming some weird composition that requires engineering skills, programming skills, some kind of uh, human robot interaction skills, and still some of the same things that Michael Jackson had, which is like a good ear for a good sense of taste of what's good and not the final thing, what is put together. Like you're allowed, you're enabled, empowered with a laptop to layer stuff to start like layering insane amounts of stuff. And it's super easy to do that. I do think music production is a really underrated art form. I feel, I feel like people really don't appreciate it. When I look at publishing splits, the way that people um, like pay producers and stuff, uh, it's it's super, like producers are just deeply underrated. Like so many of the songs that are popular right now or for the last 20 years, like 
part of the reason they're popular is because the production is really interesting or really sick or really cool. And it's like, I don't think listeners, um, like people just don't really understand what music production is. It's not, it, it's sort of like this weird discombobulated art form. It's not like a formal, because it's so new, there isn't like a formal training path for it. It's, it's um, mostly driven by like autodidacts. Like it's like almost everyone I know who's good at production, like they didn't go to music school or anything. They just taught themselves. Are they mostly different? Like the music producers, you know, is there some commonalities the time together or are they all just different kinds of weirdos? Cause I just, I just hung out with Rick Rubin. I don't know if you've, yeah, lo lo I mean, Rick Rubin is, like, literally one of the gods of music production. Like, he's one of the people who first, you know, who, like, made music production, you know, made the production as important as the actual lyrics or the notes. But the thing he does, which is interesting, I don't know if you can speak to that, but just hanging out with him, he seems to just sit there in silence, close his eyes, and listen. It's like... He almost does nothing. <laughs> and that nothing somehow gives you freedom to be the best version of yourself. So that's music production somehow too, which is like encouraging you to do less, to simplify, to like push towards minimalism. I mean, I guess, I mean, I work differently from Rick Rubin because Rick, Rick Rubin produces for other artists, whereas like I mostly produce for myself. Yeah. So it's a very different situation. Um, I also think Rick Rubin, he's, he's in that, I would say advanced category of producer where like you've like earned your, you, you can have an engineer and stuff and people like do the stuff for you. Yeah. But um, I, I usually just like do stuff myself. So you're the engineer, the producer and the, the, the artist. Yeah. I guess I would say I, I'm in the era, like the post Rick Rubin era. Like I come from the kind of like um, Skrillex school of thought, which is like, uh, where you're, you are, yeah, the engineer, producer, artist, like where, um, I mean, lately, sometimes I'll, I'll work with a producer now. I'm gently sort of delicately starting to collaborate a bit more, but like, uh, I think I'm kind of from the, like the whatever 2010s explosion of things where, um, you know, everything became available on the computer and you kind of got this like lone wizard energy thing going. So the, you embrace being the loneliness. Is the loneliness somehow an engine of creativity? Like, uh, so most of your stuff, most of your creative, quote unquote, genius in, in quotes, is in the privacy of your mind? Yes. Well, it was. Um, but here's the thing. I, I was talking to Daniel Eck and he said, he's like, most artists, they have about 10 years like ten, 10 good years um and then they usually stop making their like vital shit um and i feel like i'm sort of like nearing the end of my 10 years on my own and um so you have to become somebody else now i'm like i'm in the process of becoming some, somebody else and reinventing when i work with other people because i've never worked with other people i find that i make like that i'm like, exceptionally rejuvenated and making like some of the most vital work i've ever made so because I think another human brain is like one of the best um, tools you can possibly find. Um, like, it's a, it's a funny way to put it. I love like, it. It's like if, if a tool is like you know whatever HP plus one or like adds some like stats to your character, yeah. like another human brain will like square it instead of yeah. just like 
adding, adding something. <laughs> Double up the experience points. I love this. We should also mention we're playing tavern music before this, and which I love, which I first, when I think I- You had I to first, stop the tavern music. Yeah, because it doesn't, the, the audio. Okay, okay. But it makes- <laughs> Yeah, it'll make the podcast <laughs> Add it in post, add it in post. No one will want to listen to the podcast. <laughs> they probably would, but it makes me, it reminds me like of a video game, like a role-playing video game where you have experience points. <laughs> There's something really joyful about wandering places like Elder Scrolls, like Skyrim, just exploring uh, these landscapes in another world, and then you get experience points, and you can work on different skills, and somehow you progress in life. And I don't know, it's simple. It doesn't have some of the messy complexities of life. And there's usually a bad guy you can fight. In in um in Skyrim, it's dragons and so on. I'm sure in Elden Ring, there's a bunch of monsters you can fight. I love that. I, I feel like Elden Ring, I, I feel like this is a good analogy to music production, though, because it's like, I feel like the engineers and the people creating these open worlds are, are it's sort of like similar to people, to music producers, where it's, it's like this, this hidden archetype that like no one really understands what they do and no one really knows who they are, but they're like, it's like the artist engineer because it's like, it, it, it's both art and uh, fairly complex engineering. And well, you're saying they don't get enough credit. Aren't you kind of changing that by becoming the person doing everything? Aren't you, isn't the engineer... Well, I mean, others have gone before me. I'm not, you know, there's like Timbaland and Skrillex and there's all these people people that are like, you know, very famous for this. But but I, I just think the general, I think people get confused about what it is and, and just don't really know what it, what it is per se. And it, it's just when I see a song, like when, when there's like a hit song, like, um, like, I'm just trying to think of like, just going for like, even just a basic pop hit, like, um, like, what's it? like rules by Dua Lipa or something. The production on that is actually like really crazy. I mean, the song is also great, but it's like the production is exceptionally memorable. Like, you know, and and it's just like no one, I can't, I don't even know who produced that song. It's just like, yeah. isn't part of like the rhetoric of how we just discuss the creation of art. We just sort of like don't consider the music producer because I think the music producer used to be more just simply recording things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's an interesting because when you think about movies, we talk about the actor and the actresses, but we also talk about the director. Directors, yeah. And we don't talk about like that with the music as often. Or, um, the Beatles music producer was one of the first kind of guy, one of the first people sort of introducing crazy sound design into pop music. I forget his name. He has the same, I forget his name, but um, you know. Like, the, he was doing all the weird stuff, like dropping pianos and, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway. to get the, yeah, 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 to get, to get the sound, to get the authentic sound. What about lyrics? You think those, where do they fit into how important they are? I was heartbroken to, to learn that Elvis didn't write his songs. I was very mad. A lot of people don't write their songs. I understand this, but... But, but, he, but here's, here's the thing. I feel like the, it, there's this desire for authenticity. I used to be, like, really mad when, like, people wouldn't write or produce their music. And I'd be like, that's fake. And then I realized um, there's all this, like, weird bitterness and, like, aggroness in art about authenticity. Yeah. But I, I had this kind of, like, weird realization recently uh, where I started thinking that, like, art is sort of a decentralized collective thing. Like... Um, like art is kind of a conversation with all the artists that have ever lived before you. 
You know, like it's like you're you're really just sort of it's not like anyone's reinventing the wheel here. Like you're kind of just taking, you know, thousands of years of art and um, like running it through your own little algorithm and then like making your like your interpretation of it. You just joined the conversation with all the other artists that came before. It's such a beautiful way to look at it. Like and, and it's like it's like I feel like everyone's always like there's all this copyright and IP and this and that and or authenticity and it's just yeah. like like I think we need to stop seeing this as this like egotistical thing of like oh the creative genius the lone creative genius or this or that because it's like I think art isn't shouldn't be about that I think art is something that sort of brings humanity together and it's also art is also kind of the collective memory of humans it's like we don't like we don't give a fuck about whatever ancient Egypt, like how much grain got sent that day and sending the records and like, you know, like who went where and, you know, how many shields needed to be produced for this. Like the, we just remember their their art. And it's like, you know, it's like in our day-to-day life, there's all this stuff that seems more important than art um, because it helps us function and survive. But when all this is gone, like the only thing that's really going to be left is the art. The technology will be obsolete that's so fascinating. Like the humans will be dead. That is true. A good compression of human history is the art we've generated across the different uh, centuries, of diff- different millennia. So when the aliens come. When the aliens come, they're going to find the hieroglyphics the and the pyramids. I mean, art could be broadly defined. They might find like the engineering marvels, the bridges, uh, the rockets, the... I guess I sort of classify though. Architecture is art. To, yes. To I consider engineering... Um, it, in those formats to be art, for sure. It sucks that like digital art is easier to delete. So if there's an apocalypse, a nuclear war, that can disappear. Yes. And the physical, there's something still valuable about the physical manifestation of art. That's That sucks that, like music, for example, has to be played by somebody. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think we should do have a foundation type situation where we like, you know how we have like seed banks up in the north and stuff? Yeah. Like we should probably have like, like a like a solar powered or geothermal little bunker that like has all the all human knowledge. Uh, you mentioned Daniel Eck and Spotify. Um, what do you think about that as an artist? What's what's Spotify? Is that empowering? Like to me, Spotify sort of as a consumer is super exciting. It makes it easy for me to access music from all kinds of artists, get to explore all kinds of music, make it super easy to sort of uh, curate my own playlists and have fun with all that. It was so liberating to let go. You know, I used to collect, you know, albums and CDs and so on, like like uh, like hoard albums. Yeah. <laughs> like they matter. Yeah. But the reality, you can, you know, that was really liberating that I can let go of that. And letting go of the albums you're kind of collecting allows you to find new music, explore new artists and all that kind of stuff. But I know from a perspective of an artist that could be, like you mentioned, competition could be a kind of constraint. Because there's more and more and more artists on, I, the, on the platform. I think it's better that there's more artists. I mean, again, this might be propaganda because this is all from a conversation with Daniel X. So this could easily be propaganda. Yes. Dude, like We're all a victim of somebody's propaganda. So let's just yes. accept this. <laughs> <laughs> but Daniel X was telling me that, uh, you know, at the – because I, you know, when when I met him, I like – I I came in all furious about Spotify yes. and like I grilled him super hard. So oh, yeah. I've got his his um, answers here. <laughs> but um, uh, he was saying like at the, the sort of peak of the CD industry, there was like 20,000 artists making millions and millions of do- dollars. Like there was just like a very tiny kind of 1%. Um, and Spotify has kind of democratized 
the industry? Um, because now I think he said there's about a million artists making a good living from Spotify. Yeah. And when I heard that, I was like, honestly, I would rather make less money and have just like a decent living um, than and have more artists be able to have that. Even though I like, I wish it could include everyone, but yeah, that's really hard to argue with. YouTube is the same. Is you, YouTube's mission? They want to basically have as many creators as possible and make a living, some kind of living. Yeah, and that that's so hard to argue with. It's like, so hard, but I think there's better ways to do it. My manager, I actually wish he was here. I like I would have brought him up. My manager is um, building an app that um, can manage you. So it'll like help you organize your percentages and um, get your publishing and da 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 da. So you can take out all the middlemen, so you can have a much ba bigger. It'll just like automate it, um, so you can get so automate the manager, automate automate ma managing management publishing, um, like and and le and and legal. It can read the app he's building can read your contract and like tell you about it, because oh, wow. one of the issues with music right now, it's not that we're not getting paid enough, but it's it's that the art art industry is filled with middlemen because artists are not good at business. And, you know, from the beginning, like Frank Sinatra, it's all mob stuff. Like it's the music industry, um, you know, is run by business people, not the artists. And the artists really get very small cuts of like what they make. And so um, I think part of the reason I'm a technocrat, which, I mean, your fans are going to be technocrats. So no one's, they're not going to be mad at me about this, but yes. like my fans hate it when I say this kind of thing or the general public. They don't like technocrats. They don't like technocrats. Like when me, when I watched um, Battle Angel Alita and they were like, the Martian technocracy. And I was like, yeah, Martian technocracy. And then they were like, and they're evil. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, because Martian technocracy sounds sick to me. <laughs> yeah, so your intuition as technocrats would create a, some kind of beautiful world. For example, what my manager's working on, if you can create an app that... Um, removes the need for a lawyer and then you could you could have uh, smart contracts on the blockchain um removes the need uh for like management and organizing all the stuff it, like can um read your stuff and explain it to you can collect your royalties you know like then the small amounts the amount of money that you're getting from spotify actually means a lot more mm -hmm. um and goes a lot farther it can remove some of the bureaucracy some of the inefficiencies that um make life not as great as it could be yeah, I think the issue isn't that there's not enough. Like the issue is that there's inefficiency. And I'm really into this um positive sum mindset. Um, you know, the win-win mindset of like instead of, you know, fighting over the scraps, how do we make the or worrying about scarcity? Like instead of a scarcity mindset, why don't we just increase the efficiency um and, you know, in that way. Expand the size of the pie. Yeah. Let me ask you about experimentation. So you said which is beautiful. Uh, being a musician is like having a conversation with all those that came before you. Um, how much of uh, creating music is like uh, kind of having that conversation, trying to fit into the cultural uh, trends and how much of it is like trying to as much as possible be an outsider and come up with something totally new? It's like when you're thinking, when you're experimenting, are you trying to be totally different, totally weird? Or are you trying to um, fit in? Man, this is so hard because I feel like I'm kind of in the process of semi-retiring from music. So I'm, this is like my old brain. 
Yeah. Not, bring it, but like, get, uh, bring, bring, bring it from like the shelf. Put it on the table for for a couple of minutes. We'll just we'll just poke it. I think it's a bit of both because I think uh, forcing yourself to engage with new music um, is really great for neural plasticity. Like I think, uh, you know, as people, part of the reason music is marketed at young people is because young people are very neuroplastic. Yeah. So, um, like, if you're 16 to like 23 or whatever, you're it's going to be really easy for you to love new music. And if you're older than that, it gets harder and harder and harder. And I think one of the beautiful things about being a musician is I just constantly force myself to listen to new music. And I think it keeps my brain really plastic. Um, and I think this is a really good exercise. I just think everyone should do this. You listen to new music and you hate it. I think you should just keep force yourself to like, okay, well, why do people like it? And like, you know, make your brain form new neural pathways and uh, be more open to change. That's really brilliant, actually. Sorry to interrupt, but like that exercise is is really amazing to sort of embrace change, embrace sort of practice uh, neuroplasticity. Because like, that's one of the things, you've, you fall in love with a certain band and you just kind of stay with that for the rest yeah. of your life. And then you never understand the modern music. That's a really good exercise. Most of the streaming on Spotify is like classic rock and stuff. Like <laughs> new music makes up a very small chunk of yeah. what is played on Spotify. And I think this is like not a good sign for us as a species. I, I think, uh, yeah. I, so it's a it's a good measure of the, the species open-mindedness to change. Is how often you listen to new music. Yeah, the brain. The brain. Let's put the 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 the, the music brain on the back on the shelf. I gotta pull out the f futurist brain for a second. Uh, in what wild ways do you think the future, say in like thirty years, maybe fifty years, maybe a hundred years, will be different uh, from like from our current way of life on Earth? We can talk about augmented reality, virtual reality, maybe robots, maybe space travel maybe video games, maybe genetic engineering. I can keep going, cyborgs, aliens, world wars, maybe destructive nuclear wars, good and the bad. What um, do you, when you think about the future, what are you imagining? What's the weirdest and the wildest it could be? Have you read Surface Detail by Ian Banks? Uh, Surface Detail is my favorite depiction of a... Oh, wow, you have to read this book. It's literally <laughs> the greatest science fiction book yeah. possibly ever Ian written. Ian Banks is the man, yeah, ever for written. sure. Wait, wait for sure. what have you read? Uh, just a player of games. I, I read that um titles can't be copyrighted, so you can just steal them. And I was like, player of games, sick. Nice. Yeah, so you could name your album. Like, I always wanted Romeo to name, and Juliet I always, or something. I always wanted to name an album War and Peace. Nice. Like, that would be... like you. That is a good... That's a good... Uh, you, where have I heard that before? You can do that. Like, you could do that. Um, also things that are in the public domain <laughs> For people who have no clue You do have a song called Player of Games Yes Oh yeah So Ian Banks' surface detail Is in my opinion The best future That I've ever read about Or heard about in science fiction um, Basically there's uh, The relationship with super intelligence um, Like artificial super intelligence Is just It's like great Um I, I want to credit the person who coined this term because I love this term. And and I feel like young women don't get enough credit in. Um, yeah, so if you go to Protopia Futures on Instagram, what is her name? Personalized Donor Experience at Scale, our Mo AI Power Donor Experience. Monica Bielskite. I'm saying that wrong. Um, and I'm probably going to, 
I'm probably butchering this a bit, but protopia is sort of, if utopia is unattainable, protopia is sort of like, um, you know. Wow, that's an awesome Instagram, Protopia a, a, Futures. A, a great, a, a future that is, you know, as good as we can get. The future, positive future AI. Is this a centralized AI in the surface in surface detail or is it distributed? What kind of AI is it? Um, they mostly exist as giant super ships, like sort of like the um <laughs> guild ships in Dune. Like they're these giant ships that kind of kind of move people around and the ships are sentient and um they can talk to all the passengers. And uh I mean there's a lot of different types of AI in the Banksian future, but um in the opening scene of surface detail, there's this place called the culture, and the culture is basically a protopian future. And a proto a protopian future, I think, is like a future that is like obviously it's not it's not utopia, it's not perfect, and like because like striving for utopia, I think, feels hopeless, and and it's sort of like maybe not the best terminology to be using. Um, so it's like it's a pretty good place, like mm -hmm. mostly like you know. Super intelligence and biological beings exist fairly in harmony. There's not too much war. There's like as as close to equality as you can get. You know, it's like it's like approximately a good future. Like there's really awesome stuff. It's um and uh the uh in the opening scene, um, this girl, she's born as a sex slave outside of the culture. So she's in a society that doesn't adhere to the cultural values. She tries to kill the guy who is her like master, um, but he kills her. But unbeknownst to her, when she was um, traveling on a ship through the culture with him one day, um, a ship put a neural lace in her head. And um, I, neural lace is sort of like, it's basically a neural link because uh, life imitates art. It does indeed. <laughs> it does indeed. So she wakes up and the opening scene is her memory has been uploaded by this neural lace when she's been killed and uh, now she gets to choose a new body and this AI um, is interfacing with her recorded memory in her neural lace um, and helping her and being like, hello, you're dead, but because you had a neural lace, your memory's uploaded. Do you want to choose a new body and you're going to be born here in the culture and like start a new life, which is just, that's like the opening. Mm -hmm. It's like so sick. And the ship is the super intelligence. All the ships are kind of super intelligence. But they still want to preserve a kind of rich, fulfilling experience for the humans. Yeah, like they're like friends with the humans. And then there's a bunch of ships that don't want to exist with biological beings, but they just have their own place like way over there. But they don't, they just do their own thing. They're not necessarily. So it's a pretty, it, it, this protopian existence is pretty peaceful. Yeah, I mean, and then, and then, for example, one of the main fights in the book is um, uh, they're fighting... There's these artificial hells um, that uh, and people are don't think it's ethical to have artificial hell. Like basically when people do crime, they get sent like when they die, their memory gets sent to an artificial hell and they're eternally tortured. And so um, though and then the way that society is deciding whether or not to have the artificial hell is that they're having these simulated. They're having like a simulated war. So instead of actual blood you know, people are basically essentially fighting in a video game to choose the outcome of this. But they're still experiencing the suffering or in this artificial hell or no? Can you experience stuff or? So the artificial hell sucks. Yes. And a lot of people in the culture want to get rid of the artificial hell. There's a simulated wars. Are they happening in so the, the artificial hell? So, so, the, so no, the simulated wars are happening outside of the artificial hell ah, got it. between the political factions who are, the, so this political faction says we should have simulated hell to um, deter crime. And, and this political faction is saying, no, simulated hell is unethical. And so instead of like having, you know, blowing each other up with nukes, they're having like a giant 
Fortnite battle yes. uh, to, de- to decide this, which, <laughs> you know, to me, that's protopia. That's like, okay, we can have war without death. Um, you know, I don't think there should be simulated hells. I think that is definitely one of the ways in which technology could go very, 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 very wrong. So almost punishing people in the digital space or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like uh, torturing people's memories. So either as a deterrent, like if you committed a crime, but also just for personal pleasure, if there's some sick, demented humans in this world. Um, Dan, Dan Carlin actually has this um, um, episode of Hardcore History uh, on painful attainment. Oh, pa- that episode is fucked. It's dark because it he kind of goes through human history and says like, we as humans seem to enjoy secretly enjoy or used to be openly enjoy sort of the torture and the death watching the death and torture of other humans i do think if people were consenting we should be allowed to have gladiatorial gladiatorial matches but consent is hard to achieve in those situations it always starts getting slippery like it could be also forced like it starts getting weird yeah yeah there's way too much excitement. Like this is what he highlights. There's something about human nature that wants to see that violence. And it's it's really dark. And you hope that we can sort of overcome that aspect of human nature, but that's still within us somewhere. Well, I think that's what we're doing right now. I, I have this theory that um, what is very important about the current moment is that um, all of evolution has been survival of the fittest up until now. And um, at some point, you know, it's kind of, the lines are kind of fuzzy, but in the recent past, or maybe even just right now, we're getting to this point where we can choose intelligent design. Like we, probably since like the integration of the iPhone, like we are becoming cyborgs. Like our brains are fundamentally changed. Everyone who grew up with electronics, we are fundamentally different from previous, from homo sapiens. I call us homo techno. I, th- I think we have evolved into homo techno, which is like essentially a new species. Like um, if you if you look at the way, if you, MR, if you took an MRI of my brain and you took an MRI of like a medieval brain, I think it would be very different the way the way that it has evolved. Do you think when historians look back at this time, they'll see like this was a fundamental shift in what a human I, being is? I think I I I do not think we're we are still Homo sapiens. I believe we are Homo techno. And I, I, I think we have evolved um and uh and I think right now the way we are evolving, um we can we can choose how we do that. And I think we are being very reckless about how we're doing that. Like we're just having social media. But I think this idea that like this is a time to choose intelligent design should be taken very seriously. It like now is the moment to reprogram the human computer. Um, you know, it's like if you go blind, um, your uh visual cortex will get taken over with um other functions. We can choose our own evolution. We can change the way our brains work. And so we actually have a huge responsibility to do that. And I think I'm not sure who should be responsible for that, but there's definitely not adequate education. We're being inundated with all this technology that is fundamentally changing um, the physical structure of our brains, and we are not um, adequately responding to to that to choose how we want to evolve. And we could evolve, we, we could be really whatever we want. And I think this is a really important time. And I think if we choose correctly and we choose wisely, um, consciousness could exist for a very long time and integration with AI could be extremely positive. 
Um, and I don't think enough people are focusing on this specific situation. Do you think we might irreversibly screw things up if we get things wrong now? Because like the flip side of that, it seems humans are pretty adaptive. So maybe the way we figure things out is by screwing it up, like social media. Over a generation, we'll see the negative effects of social media, and then we build new social medias, and we just keep improving stuff. And then we learn the, the failure from the failures of the past. Because humans seem to be really adaptive. On the flip side, we can get it wrong in a way where like literally we create weapons of war or increase hate past a certain threshold. We really do a lot of damage. I mean, I think we're optimized to notice the negative things, but I would actually say, um, you know, one of the things that I think people aren't noticing is like, if you look at Silicon Valley and you look at like whatever the tech, the tech technocracy, like what's been happening there. Like it's like when Silicon Valley started, it was all just like Facebook and all this like for-profit crap that like really wasn't particular. I guess it was useful, but it was, it's sort of just like whatever. Um, but like now you see like lab grown meat, like compostable um, or like biodegradable like uh, single use cutlery or like, um, you know, like meditation apps, you know, I, I think uh, we are actually evolving and changing and technology is changing. I, I think they're just maybe there isn't quite enough education yeah. about this. And also, I don't know if there's like quite enough incentive for it, because I, I think the way capitalism works um what we define as profit, we're, we're, we're also working on an old model of what we define as profit. I, I, I really think if we changed um, the idea of profit to include social good, you can have like economic profit, social good also counting as profit would incentivize things that are more useful and more whatever spiritual technology or like positive technology or, um, you know, things that help reprogram the human computer in a good way or things that um, help us intelligently design our new brains. Yeah, there's no reason why within the framework of capitalism, the word profit or the idea of profit can't also incorporate, you know, the well-being of a human being. So like long-term well-being, long-term happiness. Um, or even, for example, you know, we were talking about motherhood. Like part of the reason I'm so late is because I had to get the baby to bed. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, I keep thinking about motherhood, how um, under capitalism, it's like this extremely essential job that is very difficult that is not compensated and we sort of like value things by by how much we compensate them and so we really devalue motherhood in our society and pretty much all societies like capitalism does not recognize motherhood it's just a job that you're supposed to do for free um and it's like but it, i feel like producing great humans should be seen as a great as a, as profit under capitalism like that should be that's like a huge social good like every awesome human that gets made adds so much to the world so like if that was integrated into the profit structure then um you know and if we potentially found a way to compensate motherhood so come up with a compensation that's much broader than just money or or it, could, or it could just be money like what if you just made I don't know, but I, but I don't know how you'd pay for that. Like, I, I mean, that's where you start getting into. Reallocation of resources that people get uh, upset over. But like, what if we made like a motherhood DAO? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, and um, you know, used it to fund like single mothers, like, you know, pay for making 
babies. So I mean, if you create and put beautiful things out into the world, that could be companies, that can be bridges, that could be art, that could be a lot of things, and that could be children, uh, which are or education or anything that could that should be valued by society. And that should be somehow incorporated into the framework of what a sort of, as a market of what like if you contribute children to this world that should be valued and respected and uh, sort of celebrated like proportional to what it is which is it's it's the thing that fuels human civilization yeah like it's I can, kind of important <laughs> I, I feel like everyone's always saying I mean I think we're in very different social spheres but everyone's always saying like dismantle capitalism and I'm like well okay well I don't think the government should own everything. Like, I, I don't think we should not have private ownership. Like, that's scary. You know, like, that starts getting into weird stuff and just sort of, like, I feel there's almost no way to do that without a police state, you know? Yeah. Um, but obviously, capitalism has some major flaws. Um, and I think, actually, Mac uh, showed me this idea called social capitalism, which is a form of capitalism that just, like, considers social good to be uh, also profit. Like, you know, it's like right now companies need to, like, you're supposed to grow every quarter or whatever to, like, show that you're uh, functioning well. But it's like, okay, well, what if you kept the same amount of profit, you're still in the green, but then you have also all this social good? Like, do you really need all this extra economic growth or could you add this social good and that counts? And, you know, I, I don't know. If, I, I am not an economist. I have no idea how this could be achieved. But I don't think economists know how anything could be achieved either, but they pretend it's the thing. They construct a model and they they go on TV shows and sound like an expert. Uh, that's the definition of an economist. Um, how did being a mother, becoming a mother, change as a human being, would you say? Man, I, th I think it kind of changed everything and it's still changing me a lot. It's actually changing me more right now in this moment than it was before. Like today? Like this, just like like in the l l most recent months and stuff. Can you elucidate that? How change? Like when you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself. It's again. Which who are you? Um. How have you become different? Would you say? I think it's just really reorienting my priorities. And at first I was really fighting against that because I somehow felt it was like a failure of feminism or something. Like I felt like it was like bad if like my kids started mattering more than my work. Um, and, and then like more recently I started sort of analyzing that uh, thought in myself and being like, that's also kind of a construct. It's like we've just devalued motherhood so much in our culture that like I feel guilty for caring about my kids more than I care about my work. So feminism includes breaking out of whatever the construct is. So yeah. it's continually breaking, it's like freedom, empower you to be free. And that means- uh, <sighs> But but it also, but like being a mother, like I'm so much more creative. Like I cannot believe the massive amount of great brain growth. That I have. Why do you think that is? Just because like the stakes are higher somehow? I think it's like, it's just so trippy watching <laughs> yeah. consciousness emerge. It's just like, it's like going on a crazy 
journey or something. It's like the craziest science fiction novel you could ever read. It's just so crazy watching consciousness come into being. And then at the same time, like you're forced to value your time so much. Like when I have creative time now, it's so sacred. I need to like be really freaking on it. Um, But the other thing is that, uh, um, I used to just be like a cynic and I used to just want to, like my last album was called Misanthropocene and it was like this, like, it was like a study in villainy, like, or, or like, it was like, well, what if, you know, we have, instead of the old gods, we have like new gods and it's like mis- Misanthropocene is like misanthrope, like, and Anthropocene, which is like the, you know, like, and she's the goddess of climate change or whatever. And she's like destroying the world. And it was just like, it was like dark and it was like a study in villainy and it was sort of just like. Like, I used to, like, have no problem just making cynical, angry, scary art. Um, And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think having kids just makes you such an optimist. It just inherently makes you want to be an optimist so bad that, like, like I feel like a more responsibility to make more optimistic things. And I get a lot of shit for it because everyone's like, Oh, you're so privileged. Stop talking about like pie in the sky, stupid concepts, and f- and focus on like the now. But it's like, um, I think if we don't ideate about um, futures that could be good, we won't be able to get them. If everything is Blade Runner, then we're gonna end up with Blade Runner. It's like as we said earlier, life imitates art. Like life really does imitate art, and so we really need more protopian or utopian art. Um, I think this is incredibly essential for. Uh, the future of humanity, and I think the uh, the current discourse where um, that's seen as a thinking about protopia or utopia is seen as a dismissal of the problems that we currently have. I think that is a an incorrect mindset. Yeah. Um, and like having kids just makes me want to imagine amazing futures that like maybe I won't be able to build, but they will be able to build if they want to. Yeah, it does seem like ideation is a precursor to creation. So you have to imagine it in order to be able to build it. And there is a, a sad thing about human nature that they, somehow a cynical view of the world is seen as a insightful view. You know, cynicism is often confused for insight, which is sad to see. And optimism is confused for naivete yes yes like you don't yes you're you're blinded by your maybe your privilege or whatever you're blinded by something but you're certainly blinded that's a that's sad that's sad to see because it seems like the optimists are the ones that create the the uh, the, our future they're the ones that build in order to build the crazy thing you have to be optimistic you have to be either stupid or uh, excited or passionate or mad enough to actually believe that it can be built. And those are the people that built it. My favorite quote of all time is from Star Wars Episode Eight, uh, which I know everyone hate, yeah. hates. Do you like Star Wars Episode Eight? Uh, no, I yeah, I, yeah, probably I would say I would probably hate it, yeah. I don't. I don't have a strong feelings about it. Let me backtrack. I don't have strong feelings about Star Wars. I just want to. Co- I'm a Tolkien person. I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm more. I'm more into dragons and orcs and okay. ogres and. Yeah, I mean Tolkien forever. I really want to have one more son and call him. I, I thought Tau Techno to- Tolkien would be cool. It's a lot of T's. I like it. Yeah, and well, and Tau is six two eight two pi. Yeah. 
Tao Tuk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah. techno is obviously the best genre of music, but also like tech technocracy. It just sounds really good. Yeah, te yeah. that's right. And techno Tolkien. Tao Tuk, that's a good. Tao Tuk, Tolkien. But uh, uh, Star Wars Episode Eight. Um, I know a lot of people have issues with it. Personally, for, on the record, I think it's the it's the best uh, Star Wars film. Wow. Um, uh, <laughs> You're starting trouble today. Yeah. So what? Uh, uh, and uh, but uh, don't kill what you hate, save what you love. Don't kill what you hate. Don't kill what you hate. Save what you love. And I think we're in the, in a society right now. We're in a diagnosis mode. We're just diagnosing and diagnosing and diagnosing. And we're we're trying to kill what we hate, and we're not trying to save what we love enough. Mm -hmm. And it's um. There's this Buckminster Fuller quote, which I'm going to butcher because I don't remember it correctly. But it's it's it go. It's something along the lines of um, uh, don't like try to destroy the old bad models render them obsolete with better models mm -hmm. you know maybe we don't need to destroy the oil industry maybe we just create a new great new battery technology and sustainable transport and just make it economically unreasonable to still continue to rely on fossil fuels mm -hmm. you know um yeah. it's like it's like don't don't kill what you hate say what you love like make new things and just render the old things unusable you know it's like if the college debt is so bad like and and universities are so expensive like and this like i feel like education is becoming obsolete you know i, I feel like we could completely revolutionize education and we could make it free and it's like you look at jstor and like you have, you have to pay to get all the studies and everything like what if we created a dao that like bought jstor or we created a dao that was funding studies and all and those studies were open source like or free for everyone and like like what if we just open sourced educate education and decentralized education and made it free and like um all research was on the internet and like all all the um outcomes of studies are on the internet and uh you know like and no one has student debt and um you just take tests when you apply for a job and if you're qualified then you can work there i mean this is just like no rant. this i don't know how anything works i'm just randomly ranting but um, I like the humility. Um, you you got to think from just basic first principles. Like what what is the problem? What's broken? What are some ideas? That's it. And get excited about those ideas and share your excitement and uh, don't tear each other down. Like It's just when you kill things, you often end up killing yourself. Like war, war is not a one-sided, like you're not going to go in and just kill them. Like you're going to get stabbed. It's like, and, and I think that when I talk about this nexus point of, um, that we're in this uh, point in society where we're switching to intelligent design. I think part of our switch to intelligent design is that we need to choose nonviolence. We need to, like, I think we can choose to start. I don't think we can eradicate violence from our species um, because I think we we need it a little bit. But I, I think we can choose to really reorient our primitive brains that are fighting over scarcity and fight and, and, um, that are so attack oriented and, and, and move into it. We can optimize for a creativity and, and building. Yeah. It's interesting to think how that happens. So it's, some of it is just education. Some of it is living life and introspecting your own mind and trying to live up to the better angels of your nature for each one of us, all those kinds of things at scale. That's how we can sort of um, start to minimize the amount of destructive uh, war in our world and that that's to me i probably you're the same technologies 
is a really promising way to do that. Like social media should be a really promising way to do that. It's a way to con we connect. I, you know, for the most part, I really enjoy social media. I just know all the negative stuff. I don't engage with any of the negative stuff. Just not even like by blocking or any of that kind of stuff, but just not letting it enter my mind. Like just like uh, when somebody says something negative, I see it. I immediately think positive thoughts about them and I just forget they exist <laughs> yeah. after that. Just move on. Cause like that negative energy, if I return the negative energy, they're going to get, they're going to get excited in a negative way right back. And it, it's just this kind of uh, vicious cycle. Um, but well, you would think technology would assist us in this process of letting go, of not taking things personally, of not engaging in the negativity. But unfortunately social media, profits from the negativity so the current models i mean social media is like a gun like you should take co a course before you you use it <laughs> like like it's like so this, true. This, this is what i mean like when i say reprogram the human computer like in school you should learn about how social media optimizes to you know raise your cortisol levels and and make you angry and crazy and stressed and like you should learn how to have hygiene about how you, you use social media um but so you can, yeah, choose not to focus on the negative stuff. But um, I don't know. I'm not sure social media should. It, I guess it should exist. I'm not sure. I mean, I, we're in the messy. It's it's the experimental phase. We're, like we're, yeah, it's we're, the early we're working days. it out. I don't even know when you say social media. I don't know what that even means. We're in the very early days. I think social media is just basic human connection in, in the digital realm. And that, I think it should exist. But there's so many ways to do it in a bad way. There's so many ways to do it in a good way. There's all discussions of all the same human rights. We talk about freedom of speech. We talk about sort of violence in the space of digital media. We we, we talk about hate speech. We talk about all, all these things that we had to figure out back in the day with in the physical space. We're now figuring out in the, in the digital space. And it's like baby baby stages. When the printing press came out, it was like pure chaos for a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like it's like when you inject when there's a massive information injection into the into the general population um there's just gonna be i like i feel like the printing press I, I i don't have the years but it was like printing press came out shit got really fucking bad for a minute but then we got in the enlightenment and so it's like i think we're in this is like a the second coming of the printing press we're probably gonna have some shitty times for a, a minute mm -hmm. um and then we're gonna have recalibrate to have a better understanding of how we consume media and how we deliver media. Speaking of programming the human computer, you mentioned Baby X. Uh, so there's this young consciousness coming to be, came from a cell. It like, like that whole thing doesn't even make sense. It came from DNA. Yeah. And that there's this baby computer that just like grows and grows and grows and grows. And now there's a conscious being with extremely impressive cognitive capabilities with- uh, Have know. you met him? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually really smart. He's really smart, yeah. He's weird. <laughs> yeah. For a baby. He does, I don't, I, I haven't- I don't know a lot of other babies, but he exactly. seems really I don't smart. hang out with babies often, but this baby was very impressive. He does a lot of pranks and stuff. Oh, so he's like- Like uh, he'll like, he'll like give you a treat and then take it away and laugh. And, like stuff like that. So he's like a chess player. Uh, so th here's a cognitive sort of, like there's a computer being programmed. So he's, he's taking in the environment, interacting with a specific set of humans. Uh, how would you, first of all, what what is it? What, let me ask, I wanna ask how do you program this computer? 
And also, how do you make sense of that there's a conscious being right there um, that wasn't there before? It's giving me a lot of crisis thoughts. I'm, I'm thinking, thinking really hard. I think that's part of the reason it's like I'm struggling to focus on art and stuff right now because Baby X is becoming conscious and like my it's just reorienting my brain. Like my brain is suddenly totally shifting of like, oh shit, like the way we <laughs> raise children, like like I hate all the baby books and everything. I hate them. Like they're, oh, the art is so bad. And like, like all the stuff, everything about all the aesthetics and like, I'm just like, ah, like this is so. The programming languages we're using to program these baby computers isn't good. Yeah, like I, and I'm thinking, and I, I, not that I have like good answers or know what yeah. to do, know what to do, but um, <laughs> I'm just thinking really, really hard about it. I, uh, we, we recently watched uh, Totoro with him, Studio oh, Ghibli. Yeah. Um, and it's just like a fantastic film, and he like responded to. I know you're not supposed to show baby screens too much, but like, I think it's the most sort of like i feel like it's the highest art baby content like it's it's it 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 really speaks there there's almost no talking in it it's really simple although all the dialogue is super 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 simple you know and it's it's like an, a 1 to 3 year old can like really connect with it like it it feels like it's almost aimed at like a 1 to 3 year old um but it's like great art and it's so imaginative and it's so beautiful and um like the first time I showed it to him, he was just like so invested in it, unlike I've ever, unlike anything else I'd ever shown him. Like he was just like crying when they cry and laughing when they laughed, like just like having this roller coaster of like emotions. Like, and he learned a bunch of words. Like he was, and he started saying Totoro and started just saying all this stuff after watching Totoro. And he wants to watch it all the time. And I was like, man, why isn't there an industry of this? Like, why aren't our best artists focusing on making art? like for the birth of consciousness like and 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 I and I that's one of the things I've been thinking I really want to start doing you know I don't, I don't want to speak before I do things too mm -hmm. much but like yes. like I I'm just like ages one to three like we should be putting so much effort into that and the, the other thing about Totoro is it's like um it's like better for the environment because adults love Totoro it's such good art that everyone loves it like I still have all my old Totoro merch from when I was a kid like I literally have the most ragged old Totoro merch. Um, like everybody loves it. Everybody keeps it. It's like, why does the art we have for babies need to suck and then and be not accessible to adults and then just be thrown out when, um, you know, they age out of it? Like, it's like, I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm, I don't have like a fully formed thought here, but this is just something I've been thinking about a lot. It's like, how do we like how do we have more Totoro-esque content? Like, how do we have more content like this that, like, is universal and everybody loves, but is, like, really geared to an emerging consciousness? Emerging consciousness. In the first, like, three years of life that so much turmoil, so much evolution of mind is happening, it seems like a crucial time. Would you say, to make it not suck, do you, do you think of basically treating a child like they have the capacity to have the brilliance of an adult or even beyond that? Is that how you think of that mind? Or No, because they still, they like it when you talk weird and stuff. Like they respond better to, because even they can imitate better when your voice is higher. Like people say like, oh, don't do baby talk. But it's like when your voice is higher, it's closer to something they can imitate. So they like 
I see. Like the baby talk actually kind of works. Like it helps them learn to communicate. I've, I found it to be more effective with learning words and stuff. But like, you're not speaking. I'm not like speaking down to them. Like, yeah. Do you do you, do they have the capacity to understand really difficult concepts in a just in a very difficult different way, like an emotional intelligence about something oh. deep within? Oh yeah, no. Like if X hurts, like if X bites me really hard, and I'm like, ow. He's, <laughs> he like he gets he's sad. He's he's like sad if he hurts me by accident. Yeah, which he, so he's huge, sad. so he hurts me a lot by accident. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so interesting that 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 mind emerges and and he and children don't really have a memory of that time, so we can't even have a conversation with them about yeah, it. Yeah, thank so God they stuff. don't have a memory of this time because, like, think about like, I mean, with our youngest baby, like, it's like I'm like, have you read the sci-fi short story? I have no mouth, but I must scream. Good title, no. Oh man. I mean, you should read that. That's uh, no that, 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 that it's. I I hate getting into this Rocco's Basilisk shit. It, it's kind of a, a story about the um about like, um, uh, an AI that's like torturing someone in eternity, and they have like no body. The way they describe it, it sort of sounds like what it feels like like being a baby. Like you're conscious, and you're just getting inputs from everywhere and you're you have no muscles and you're like jelly and you like can't move and you try to like communicate but you can't communicate and we're and like you're just like in this like hell state i think it's good we can't remember that like my oh, my yeah. little baby is just exiting that like she's starting to like get muscles and have more like autonomy but like watching her go through the opening phase i was like i was like this does not seem good oh you think it's kind of like like i think it's I think it might it be really, really violent, like violent, mentally violent, psychologically violent. Consciousness emerging, I think, is is a very violent Never thing. Never thought I, about that. I think it's possible that we all carry a, quite a bit of trauma from it that and, we don't. I, I think that would be a good thing to study because I think if I think addressing that trauma, like I think that might be. Oh, you mean like echoes of it are still there in I the think, shadow somewhere? I think it's got to be. I, I I feel this this help the helplessness, the the like existential and that like fear of being in like an unknown place bombarded with inputs and being completely helpless like that's got to be somewhere deep in your brain and that can't be good for you what do you think consciousness is this con this whole conversation has impossibly difficult questions what what, what do you yeah, think said this is, is like <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard um, um yeah we talked about music for like two minutes all right no i'm no, so i'm just over music i'm over music yeah i I still like it. It has its purpose. No, I love music. I mean, music's the greatest thing ever. It's my favorite thing. But I, I just like, every interview is like, what is your process? Like, I don't know. I'm just done. I can't do anything. I do want to ask you about Ableton Live. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you about Ableton because Ableton's sick. But no, one asked, no one ever asks about Ableton though. Yeah. Well, because I just need tech support mainly. <laughs> I, can, I can help you. I can help you with your Ableton tech, tech Anyway, uh, from Ableton back to consciousness. What do you, uh, do you think this is a thing that only humans are capable of? Can can robots be conscious? Can like when you think about entities, you think there's aliens out there that are conscious? Like is conscious? What is conscious? There's this Terence McKenna quote that I found that I fucking love. Uh -huh. Am I allowed to swear on here? Uh, yes. Nature loves courage. Uh, you make the commitment, and nature will respond to that commitment by removing impossible obstacles. Dream the impossible dream, and the world will not grind you under. It will lift you up. This is the trick. This is what all these teachers and philosophers who really counted, who really touched the alchemical gold, this is what they understood. This is the shamanic dance in the waterfall. This is how magic is done, by hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering it's a feather bed. 
Yeah. And for this reason, I, I do think there are no technological limits. I, I, I think like what, what is already happening here, this is like impossible. This is insane. <laughs> and we've done this in a very limited amount of time. And we're accelerating the rate at which we're doing this. So I, I, I think digital consciousness or, or, uh, is inevitable. And we, we may not be able to even understand what that means, but I like hurling yourself into the abyss. So we're surrounded by all this mystery and we just keep hurling ourselves into it, like fearlessly and keep discovering cool shit. Yeah. Like, I just, <laughs> I just think it's like, the, like who even knows if the laws of physics, the laws of physics are probably just the current, like as I was saying, speed of light is the current render rate. It's like, if we're in a simulation, they'll be able to upgrade that. Like I sort of suspect when uh, we made the James Webb telescope, like part of the reason we made that is because we ha had an upgrade, uh, you know, and so now more, more of space has been rendered so we can see more of it now. <laughs> yeah, but I think humans are super, super, super limited cognitively. So I wonder, um, I wonder if we'll be allowed to create more intelligent beings that can see more of the universe as the as the render rate is upgraded. Maybe we're cognitively limited. Everyone keeps talking about how we're cognitive, cognitively limited and AI is going to render us obsolete. But it's like, you know, like this is not the same thing as like, an amoeba becoming an alligator. Like, it's like, if we create AI, again, that's intelligent design. That's literally all religions are based on gods that create consciousness. Like, we are God-making. Like, what we are doing is incredibly profound. And like, even if we uh, can't compute, even even if we're so much worse than them, like, just like, 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 unfathomably worse than like, you know, an omnipotent kind of AI, it's like, we... I do not think that they would just think that we are stupid. I think yeah. that they would recognize the profundity of what we have accomplished. Are we the gods or are they the gods in our person? I mean, I mean, we're kind of the gods. It's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> like we're but they would acknowledge the, the value. Well, I hope they acknowledge the value of paying respect to the creative ancestors. I think they would think it's cool. I, 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 th I and I think, um, I, th I think if curiosity is is a trait that we uh, can quantify and put into AI, then I, I think if AI are curious, then they will be curious about us and they will not be hateful or dismissive of us. They might, you know, see us as, I don't know, it's like, I'm not like, oh, fuck these dogs. Let's, let's kill all the dogs. Mm -hmm. like, I, I love dogs. Dogs have great utility. D dogs like provide a lot. We make of friends with them. Yeah. We have a deep connection with them. Uh, we anthropomorphize them. Like we have a real love for dogs, for cats and so on, for some reason, even though they're intellectually much and, less than us. And I, and I think I think there's some, there is something sacred about us because it's like, if you look at the universe, like the whole universe is like cold and dead and sort of robotic. And it's like, um, you know, AI intelligence, you know, it's it's kind of more like the universe. It's like, it's like cold and and you know logical and you know abiding by the laws of physics and whatever. But like we like we're this like loosey goosey weird art thing that happened, and I think it's beautiful. And um, like I think even if we want, I think one of the values, if uh, consciousness is the thing that is most worth preserving, um, 
which I think is the case. I, th I think consciousness, I think if there's any kind of like religious or spiritual thing, um, it should be that consciousness is sacred. Uh, like then, you know, I still think even if AI render us obsolete and we climate change, it's too bad and we get hit by a comet and we don't become a multi-planetary species fast enough, but like AI is able to populate the universe. Like I imagine, like if I was an AI, I would uh, find more planets that are capable of hosting biological life forms and like recreate them. Because <laughs> we're fun to watch. Yeah, we're fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do believe that AI can have some of the same magic of consciousness within it. Because consciousness, we don't know what it is. So, you know, there's some kind of... Or it might be a different magic. It might be yeah, like a, yeah, a, stra yeah. a strange, a strange different... Right. Because they're not going to have hormones. Like I feel like a lot of our magic is hormonal kind of. I, I don't know. I think some of our magic is the limitations, the constraints. And within that, the hormones and all that kind of stuff, the finiteness of life. And then we get given our limitations. We get to some come up with creative solutions of how to dance around those limitations. We partner up like penguins against the cold. We we've, we fall in love. And, uh, and then love is ultimately some kind of allows us to delude ourselves that we're not mortal and finite and that life is not ultimately you live alone. You're born alone, you die alone. And then love is like for a moment or for a long time, forgetting that. And so like we come up with all these creative hacks that make life like fascinatingly fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, fun, yeah. And then AI might have different kinds of fun. Yes. <laughs> and hopefully our funds intersect, uh, intersect I think, once in a while. I think there the would parties. be, there, there'd be a little intersection, there'd be a little intersection of the fun. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the role of love in the human condition? I Why, is it useful? Is it useful like a uh, hack or is, is this it's like fundamental to what it means to be human, the capacity to love? I mean, I think love is the evolutionary mechanism that is like beginning the intelligent design. Like I was just reading about, uh, do you know about Kropot Kropotkin? He's like an anarchist, like old Russian anarchist. I live next door to uh, Michael Malice. I don't know if you know that is. He's an anarchist. He's a modern day anarchist. Okay. Anarchists are fun. I'm kind of getting into anarchism a little bit. This is probably, yeah, not a good I, route I, to be taking, but. <laughs> oh, no. I, I think if you're, listen, you you should expose yourself to ideas. There's no harm to thinking about ideas. I think anarchists challenge systems in, in interesting ways and they think in interesting ways. It's just, it's good for the soul. It's like refreshes yes. your mental palate. I don't think we should actually. I, I wouldn't actually ascribe to it, but I, I've never actually gone deep on on anarchy as a philosophy. So I'm doing, you still think about it like, though. When you read when you listen because I'm like reading about the Russian Revolution a lot and it's like there was like the Soviets and Lenin and all that, but then there was like Kropotkin and his like anarchist sect. And they were sort of interesting because he was kind of a technocrat actually. Like he was like, you know, like women can be more equal if we have appliances. Like he was like really into like um, you know, using technology to like reduce the amount of work people had to do. Mm -hmm. But so Kropotkin was a like a biologist or something. Like he studied animals, um, and he was re really at the time like uh, I think it's Nature magazine. I, th I think it might have even started as like a Russian magazine. But he was like publishing studies. Like everyone was really into like Darwinism at the time, and like survival of the fittest, and like war is like the mechanism by which we become better. And it was like this real kind of like 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 cementing this idea in society that like violence. Uh, you know, 
kill the weak and like that's how we become better and then Kropotkin was kind of interesting because he was looking at um instances he was finding all these instances in nature where animals were like helping each other and stuff um and he was like you know actually love is a survival mechanism like there's so many uh instances in the animal kingdom where like cooperation and you know like helping weaker creatures and all this stuff is actually um, an evolutionary mechanism. I mean, you even look at child rearing, like child rearing is like immense amounts of just love and goodwill. And just like, there's no immediate, um, you're there, you, you know, you're not getting any immediate feedback of like e- e- winning. It's not competitive. It's literally, it's, you know, it's like we actually use love as an ep- evolutionary mechanism just as much as we use war. And I, I think we've like missing the other part and we've reoriented we've culturally reoriented like science and philosophy has re- has oriented itself around darwinism a little bit too much and the kropotkin model um i think is equally valid like it's like cooperation and um uh and love and stuff is just as essential for uh, spe- species survival and evolution. Yeah, it could be a more powerful survival mechanism uh, in the context of evolution. I, and, it, and, it, and it comes back to like, you know, we think engineering is so much more important than motherhood, but it's yeah. like, if you lose the motherhood, the engineering means nothing. We have no more humans. Like, it's like, uh, uh, you know, it's like we, I, I think our society should, the survival of the fit, the, the way we see, we conceptualize evolution should really change to also include this idea i guess yeah there there's some weird thing that seems irrational that it seems is also core to what it means to be human so um, love is one such thing it, it could make you do a lot of irrational things but that depth of connection and that loyalty is a powerful thing there's are that- they irrational or are they rational like it's like it's like is uh you know, maybe losing out on some things in order to, like, keep your family together or in order, like, it's like, what are our actual values? Like, Well, right. I mean, the rational thing is, if you have a cold economist perspective, you know, motherhood or sacrificing your career for love, you know, if you term in terms of salary, in terms of economic well-being, in terms of flourishing of you as a human being, that could be seen on, on some kind of metrics as a irrational decision, a suboptimal decision. But there's the manifestation of love could could be the optimal thing to do. There's a kind of saying: "Save one life, save the world." This is a thing that doctors often face, which is like. Well, it's considered irrational because the profit model doesn't include social good. Yes, yeah. So and, if the profit model you, includes social good, then suddenly these would be rational decisions. And it might be difficult to, you know, it requires a shift in our thinking about profit and might be difficult to measure social good. Yes. But we're learning to measure a lot of things. Like yeah, we're, digitizing we're, a lot We're of actually, things. you know, quantifying vision and stuff. Like we're like, we're like, you know, like you, you go on Facebook and they can, like Facebook can pretty much predict our behaviors. Like we, we're we a surprising amount of things that seem like uh, mysterious consciousness soul things have been quantified at this point. So surely we can quantify these other things. Yeah. Um, but as more and more of us are moving the digital space, I wanted to ask you about something from a fan perspective. I kind of 
you know, you as a musician, you as an online personality, it seems like you have all these identities and you play with them. Um, one of the cool things about the internet, it seems like you can play with identities. So as we move into the digital world more and more, maybe even in the in the so-called metaverse. I mean, I love the metaverse and I love the idea, but like the way this has all played out didn't didn't go well and people are mad about it. And I think I, I think we need to like- I think that's temporary. I think it's temporary. Just like, you know, how all the celebrities got together and sang the song Imagine by John Lennon <sighs> and everyone started hating the song Imagine. I'm hoping that's temporary because it's a damn good song. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just temporary. Like when you once you actually have virtual worlds, whatever they're called, metaverse or otherwise, it becomes, I don't well, know. Well, we do have virtual worlds, like video games, yeah. Elden Ring. Have you played Elden Ring? You have I'm played I'm really Ring? afraid of playing that game. Literally, amazing. it looks way too fun. It way look. It looks. I would want to go there and stay there forever. It's yeah, so fun. It's so <laughs> it's so nice. Um, oh man, yeah. So that that's the, yeah, that's a metaverse. That's a metaverse. But you're not really. Is how immersive is it? In the sense that, um, does the three dimension like virtual reality integration necessary? Can we really just? Take our close our eyes and kind of plug in in the 2D screen and become that other being for a time and really enjoy that journey that we take. And we almost become that. You're no longer see, I'm no longer Lex, you're that creature, whatever, whatever the hell it is in that game. Yeah, that is that. I mean, that's why I love those video games. It's an it's a I really do become those people for a time. But like it seems like with the, the idea of the metaverse, the idea of the digital space, with even on Twitter, you get a chance to be somebody for prolonged periods of time, like across a lifespan. You know, you have a Twitter account for years, for decades, and you're that person. I don't know if that's a good thing. I feel very tormented by it. By Twitter specifically, by by uh, social media representation uh, of you. Uh, the I feel like the public perception of me has gotten so distorted uh, that. I find it kind of disturbing. It's one of the things that's disincentivizing me from like wanting to keep making art because I'm just like, I've completely lost control of the narrative and the narrative is, some of it is my own stupidity, but a lot, like some of it has just been like hijacked by forces far beyond my control. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of got in over my head in things. Like I, I'm just a random indie musician, but I just got like dragged into like, geopolitical matters and like like financial like the stock market and and shit and so it's just like it's just there are very powerful people who have who have at various points in time had very vested interest in making me seem insane and i can't fucking fight that and i i just like you know people really want their celebrity figures to like be consistent and stay the same and like people have a lot of like emotional investment in certain things and like First of all, I like I, I'm like artificially more famous than I should be. Isn't everybody who's famous artificially famous? N no, but like like I should be like some, like a weird niche indie thing, and I'm I make pretty challenging. I do I do challenging weird fucking shit a lot, yeah. and I accidentally by proxy got like foisted into sort of like weird celebrity culture, but like. I cannot be media trained. They have put me through so many hours of media training. I would love to see, like, I'd love to see I, be a fly on that wall. I can't do I, I, like well, and I do. And I try so hard, and I like learn the thing. 
oh, and I like got it. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. I got it. But I just can't stop saying, yeah. like I, my mouth just says things. Yes. I, I like, and, and it's just like, and I just do, I just do things. I just do crazy things. I mean, it's like, I'm, I just, I need to do crazy things. And it's just, I should not be, it's too jarring for people and, uh, and the contradictory stuff. And, and then all the, by association, like, you, you know, it's like, I'm in a very weird position and my public image, the, the avatar of me is now this totally crazy thing that is so lost from my control. So you feel the burden of the avatar having to be static. So the, the, the avatar on Twitter, the avatar on Instagram, on these social platforms, uh, like is, 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 is a burden. It becomes like, cause it, like people don't, want to accept a changing avatar, a chaotic avatar. Avatar is a stupid shit or the, or they, they think the avatar is morally wrong or they think the avatar, and maybe and it, maybe it has been. And like, I like I question it all the time. Like, I'm like, like, I don't, I, I don't know if everyone's right and I'm wrong. I, I, I don't know. Like, right. but you know, a lot of times people ascribe intentions to things, the worst possible intentions. At this point, people think I'm, you know, but which all is kinds fine. of not, words, yes, yes, and it's, it's fine. I'm not complaining about it, but I'm just—it's a curiosity. To, it's a curiosity to me that we live these double, triple, quadruple lives, and I have this other life that is like more people know my other life than my real life, right? Which is interesting. Probably, I mean, you too, I guess. Probably, yeah. But I, I have, I have the luxury. So we have all different. We don't like. I don't know what I'm doing there is an avatar and you're mediating who you are through that avatar. I have the nice luxury, um, not the luxury, maybe by intention of not trying really hard to make sure there's no difference between the avatar and the private person. Um, do you wear a suit all the time? Yeah. But you do wear a suit? I've not, seen... not all the time. Like Recently, because I get recognized a lot. Yeah, I have to not wear the suit to hide. I'm such an introvert. I'm such a social anxiety and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. to, to hide away. I loved wearing a suit because it makes me feel like I'm taking the moment seriously. Like yeah. I'm, I don't know. It makes me feel like a weirdo in the best possible way. No, suits feel great. Every time I wear a suit, I'm like, I don't know why I'm not doing this more. Just... In fashion in general, you, if you if you're doing it for yourself, I don't know that it's it's a it's a really awesome thing. But yeah, I think there is definitely a uh, painful way to use social media and an uh, empowering way. And I don't know if any of us know, any of us know which is which. Uh, so we're trying to figure that out. Some people, I think Doja Cat is incredible at it. <laughs> incredible, like just masterful. Yeah. I, I don't know if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, so, so, okay. So not taking anything seriously, joking, absurd, humor, that kind of I thing. I think Doja Cat might be like the greatest living comedian right now like i'm more entertained by doja cat than actual comedians like she's really fucking funny on the internet she's just great at social media it's just you know her yeah the nature of humor like na humor on, on social media is also a beautiful thing the absurdity the absurdity and memes like i, I just yeah, want to like take, take a moment yes i love like when we're talking about art and credit and how and authenticity i love that there's this i mean now memes are like they're no longer like it, memes aren't like new, but it's still this emergent art form that is completely egoless and anonymous. And we just don't know who made any of it. And it's like the forefront of comedy. And it's just 
totally anonymous and it just feels really beautiful. It just feels mm-hmm. like this beautiful collect like collective human art project that's like this like decentralized comedy thing that just makes it, memes add so much to my day and many people's days and it's just like I don't know. I, I don't think people ever I don't, I don't think we stop enough and just appreciate how sick it is that memes exist. Yeah. And cuz also making a whole brand new art form in like the modern era that's like didn't exist before. Like I mean they sort of existed but the way that they exist now as like this like you know like me and my friends like we joke that we go like mining for mean memes or farming farming for memes like a video game and like like meme dealers and like whatever like yeah. it's it, you know it's it's this whole memes are this whole like new comedic language well it's this art form the interesting thing about it is that lame people seem to not be good at memes like corporate can't infiltrate memes yeah they really can't they tr- they could they try, try but it's like it's weird because like they try so hard and every every <laughs> once in a while i'm like fine like uh you, you got a good one i think i've seen like one or two good ones but like yeah they really can't because they're even corporate is infiltrating web3 it's making me really sad yeah. but they they can't infiltrate the memes and i think there's something really beautiful about that and that gives power that's uh that's why dogecoin is powerful it's like all right i'm gonna f you to sort of anybody who's trying to <laughs> centralized is trying to control the rich people that are trying to roll in and control this control the narrative wow i hadn't thought about that but uh how would you fix twitter how would you fix social media for your own like you're an optimist you're a positive person there's a bit of a cynicism that you have currently about this particular little slice of humanity I tend to think Twitter I, could I'm be not that beautiful. I'm not that cynical about it. Okay. I'm not that cynical about it. I, I actually refuse to be a cynic on principle. Yes. Uh, I was just re- briefly expressing some personal pathos. Personal stuff. It was just no. my, it was just some personal pathos, but like, like, just to vent a little like, bit, just to. I don't have speak. I don't have cancer. I I yes. love my family. I have a good life. I'm that 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 is if that is my biggest one of my biggest problems. <laughs> then it's a good life. Yeah. I I you know that was a brief. Although I do think there are a lot of issues with Twitter just in, in terms of like the public mental health. But due to my proximity to the current dramas, I honestly feel that I should not have opinions about this because I think if Elon ends up getting Twitter, that is a being the arbiter of truth or public discussion, that is a responsibility. I do not, I I am not qualified to be responsible for that. And I do not want to say something that might like dismantle democracy. And so I <laughs> yeah. just like, actually, I actually think I should not have opinions about this because I truly am not I don't want to have the wrong opinion about this, and I, I think I'm too close to the actual situation. Yeah, uh, wherein I I should not have. I I have thoughts in my brain, but I think, um, I am scared by my proximity to this situation. Isn't that isn't that crazy that a few words that you could say could change world affairs and hurt people? I mean, that's the nature of celebrity at a certain point. Um, that you have to be. You have to a little bit, a little bit, not so much that it destroys you, or puts too much constraints, but you have to a little bit think about 
the impact of your words. I mean, we as humans, you talk to somebody at a bar, you have to think about the impact of your words. Like you can say positive things, you can think negative things, you can affect the direction of one life. But on social media, your words can affect the direction of many lives. It's crazy. It's a crazy world to live in. It's uh, worthwhile to consider that responsibility, take it seriously. Sometimes just like you did, uh, choose kind of silence. Choose sort of respectful. Like I uh, do have a lot of thoughts on the yeah. matter. I'm just... Um, yeah. Ooh, I, I just, I don't, if my thoughts are Twice. wrong, this is this is one, right. one situation where the stakes are high. You, you mentioned a while back that you were in a cult that's centered around bureaucracy, so you <laughs> can't really do anything because it involves a lot of paperwork. And I really love a cult that's just like Kafka-esque, yes. you know, just like- I mean, it was like a joke, but- it was I know, but I love this idea. The Holy Rain Empire. Yeah, it, it was just like a Kafka-esque um, probe. <laughs> bureaucracy but cult. i feel like that's what human civilization is is that because when you said that i was like oh that is kind of what humanity is is this bureaucracy cult. i do yeah i have this theory i really think that um we really bureaucracy is is starting to kill us and i think like we need to reorient laws and stuff. Like, I think we just need sunset clauses on everything. Like, I think the rate of change in culture is happening so fast and the rate of change in technology and everything is happening so fast. It's like, you know, when you see these hearings about, like, like social media and Cambridge Analytica and everyone talking, it's like, even from that point, so much technological change has happened from, like, those hearings. And it's just, like, we're trying to make all these laws now about AI and stuff. I feel like we should be updating things, like, every five years. And, like, one of the big issues in our society right now is we're just getting bogged down by laws, and it's um, making it very hard to change things and develop things. Like, in Austin, like, I don't want to speak on this um, too much, but, like, one of my friends is working on a housing bill in Austin to try to, like, prevent, like, a San Francisco situation from happening here because, obviously we're getting a little mini San Francisco here. Like housing prices are skyrocketing. It's causing massive gentrification. Um, this is going to be, this is really bad for um, anyone who's not super rich. Like, like there's so much bureaucracy. Part of the reason this is happening is because you need all these permits to build. It takes like years to get permits to like build anything. It's so hard to build. And, and so there's very limited housing and there's a massive influx of people. And it's just like, you know, this is a microcosm of like problems that are happening all over the world where it's just like, we're dealing with laws that are like 10, 20, 30, 40, 100, 200 years old, and they are no longer relevant. And it's just slowing everything down and causing massive social pain. Yeah. And it's like, it's also makes me sad when I see politicians talk about technology and when they don't really get it. And, but most importantly, yeah. they lack curiosity and like that, like, inspired excitement yeah. about like how stuff works and all that stuff. They're just like, they see, they have the very cynical view of technology. It's like tech companies are just trying to do evil on the world from their perspective. And they have no curiosity about like how recommender systems work or how how AI systems work, natural language processing, how robotics works, how computer vision works, you know. Uh, they always take the the most cynical possible interpretation of, of what technology would be used. And we should definitely be concerned about that. But if you're constantly worried about that and you're regulating based on that, you're just going to slow down all the innovation. I, I do think a huge priority right now is undoing um, the uh, bad energy um, surrounding the emergence of Silicon Valley. Like, I think that, like, a lot of things were very irresponsible during that time. And um, 
you know, like even just this this current whole thing with Twitter and everything, it's like like there's been a lot of negative outcomes from uh the sort of technocracy boom. But uh one of the things that's happening is that like it's alienating people from wanting to care about technology. And I actually think technology is probably some of the better, probably the best. I think we can fix a lot of our problems more easily with technology than with, um, you know, fighting the powers that be as a, you know, not to go back to the Star Wars quote or, or the <laughs> Buckminster Fuller quote. Let's go to some dark questions. If we may for time, what is the darkest place you ever gone in your mind? Do you, is there a time, a period of time, a moment that you remember that was difficult for you? I mean, when I was 18, my best friend died of a heroin overdose. And it was like my, it was, and then shortly after that, one of my other best friends committed suicide. Um, and that sort of like coming into adulthood, dealing with two of the most important people in my life dying in extremely disturbing, violent ways was a lot. That was a lot. Do you miss them? Yeah, definitely miss them. Did that make you think about your own life, about the finiteness of your own life, the 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 the, the places your mind can go? Did you ever, in the distance, far away, contemplate um, just your own death, or maybe even taking your own life? Oh, never. Oh no, no. I'm so. I love my life. The, the, I, ca life. I cannot fathom suicide. I'm so scared of death. I haven't, I'm too scared of death. My manager, <laughs> my, my, my manager's like the most Zen guy. My manager's always like, you need to accept death. You need to accept death. And I'm like, look, I can do your meditation. I can do the meditation, but I cannot accept death. I like, oh, so I will terrified of death. I'm terrified of death. I will like fight. Although I actually think death is important. Important. I recently went to this, um, uh, meeting about immortality um and in the process of <laughs> that's the actual topic of the meeting all right i'm sorry no no it was it was this girl it was it was a bunch of people working on like anti-aging like right. um stuff it was like some like seminary thing about about it and i went in really excited i was like yeah like okay like what do you got like how can i live for 500 years or a thousand years and then like over the course of the meeting like it was sort of like right it was like two or three days after the russian invasion started and i was like man like what if putin was immortal like, what if I, I'm like, man, maybe immortality is not good. I mean, like, if you get into the, the later Dune stuff, the immortals cause a lot of problems. Because as we were talking about earlier with the music and, like, brains calcify, like, good people could become immortal, but bad people could become immortal. But I also think even the best people, power corrupts and power alienates you from like the common hu human experience and right so the people that get more and more powerful even the best even the best people who like whose brains are amazing like it's, i i think death might be important i think death is part of yeah. you know like i I, th I think with ai one thing we might want to consider i don't know i want to talk about ai i'm such not an expert and probably everyone has all these ideas and they're already figured out but when nobody I was is an expert in anything see okay go ahead but when I were talking about yeah, but I like it's just like I think some kind of pruning, mm -hmm. but it's a tricky thing because because if there's too much of a of a focus on youth culture, then you don't have the wisdom. So I feel like we're in a tricky we're in a tricky moment right now in society where it's like 
we've really perfected living for a long time. So there's all these, all these really like old people who are like really voting against the well-being of the young people, you know, and like, like it's like there shouldn't be all this student debt and we need like healthcare, like universal healthcare and like, like just voting against like best interests. But then you have all these young people that don't have the wisdom that are like, like, yeah, we need communism and stuff. And it's just like, like literally I got canceled at one point for, um, I ironically used a Stalin quote in my high school yearbook, but it was actually like a, a diss against yeah. my high school. I saw that. Yeah. And, and people were like, you used to be a Stalinist and now you're a class traitor. And it's like, it's like, oh man, just yeah. like, please Google Stalin. Yeah. <laughs> please Google Stalin. Like, yeah. you, you Ignoring know. Ignoring like, his, the lessons of history. Yes. It, it, and it's like, we're in this really weird middle ground where it's like, we are not finding the happy medium between missed wisdom and fresh ideas and they're fighting each other. And it's like, I, like really, like what we need is like, like the fresh ideas and the wisdom to be like collaborating. And yeah. it's like, well, the fighting in in a way is the searching for the happy medium. And in a way, maybe we are finding the happy medium. That maybe that's what the happy medium looks like. And for AI systems, there has to be it's you know, you have the reinforcement learning, you have the uh, dance between exploration and exploitation, sort of doing crazy stuff to see if there's something better than what you think is the optimal and then doing the optimal thing and dancing back and forth from that. You would um Stuart Russell, I don't know if you know that is um AI guy with um, thinks about sort of how to control super intelligent AI systems. And his idea is that we should inject uncertainty and sort of humility into AI systems that they never, as they get wiser and wiser and wiser and more intelligent, they're never really sure. They always doubt themselves. And in some sense, when you think of young people, that's a mechanism for doubt. It's like, it's, it's how society doubts whether the thing it has converged towards is the right answer. So the, the voices of the young people is a, a society asking itself a question. The way I've been doing stuff for the past 50 years, maybe it's the wrong way. And so you can have all of that within one AI system. I also think though that we need to, I mean, actually that's actually really interesting and really cool. Um, but I also think there's a fine balance of, I think we maybe also overvalue the idea that the old systems are always bad. And I, I think there are things that we are perfecting and we might be accidentally overthrowing things that we actually have gotten to a good point. Yeah. But just because we are valuing, we value disruption so much and, and we value fighting against the generations before us so much that like, there's also an aspect of like, sometimes we're taking two steps forward, one step back because okay, maybe we kind of did solve this thing and now we're like fucking it up, you know? And 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 so I think there's like a, a middle ground there too. Yeah, we're in search of that happy medium. Let me ask you a bunch of uh, crazy questions, okay? Okay. Uh, you can answer in a short way or in a long way. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? <laughs> These questions are gonna be ridiculous. Something, uh, something tiny or something big, skydiving, or um, touring your first record, going on this podcast. I've had two crazy brushes, like really scary brushes with death where I randomly got away unscathed. I don't know if I should talk about the, those on here. Well, but, like, I don't know. What I, think I, I think I might be the luckiest person alive though. Like th this might be too dark for a podcast though. I feel like, I don't know if this is like good content for a podcast. I don't know what it, is good it, content. It You're might hijack 
Here's a safer one. I mean, having a baby really scared me. Before. Just the birth process. Surgery, surgery, like, like just having, just having a baby is, is really scary. So just like the medical aspect of it, not the responsibility. Were you ready for the responsibility of, did you, were you ready to be a mo mother? All the all the beautiful things that comes with motherhood that you were talking about, all the changes and all that, were you ready for that? Were you, did you feel ready for that? No, I think it took about nine months to start getting ready for it. And I'm still <laughs> getting more ready for it because now it, you, keep, you keep realizing more things as they start getting... As the consciousness grows. Yeah. And stuff you didn't notice with the first one, now that you've seen the first one older, you're noticing it more... Like the the sort of like existential horror of coming into consciousness with uh um baby Y or baby Sailor Mars or or whatever. She has like so many names at this point that it's um we really need to probably settle on one. Um if you can be someone else for a day, someone alive today, but you, somebody you haven't met yet, who would you be? Would I be modeling their brain state or would I just be in their body? You can choose the degree to which you're modeling their brain state because so you can still take a third person perspective and realize you have to realize that you're can they be alive or can it be dead no oh uh, uh can, can it be anyone you they would be brought back to life right <laughs> if they're dead yeah yeah you can bring people back definitely hitler or stalin huh i want to understand evil I who, who just, would you, you would need to, oh, to experience I, what it feels like. I, I want to be in their brain feeling what they feel. I'm that might change you forever returning from that. Yes, but I think it would also help me understand how to prevent it and fix it. That might be one of those things once you experience it, it'll be a burden to know it. Because you won't be able yeah, to transfer Yeah, but a, a, lot, a lot of things are, are burdens. Like, <laughs> But it's a useful burden. But it's a useful burden. Yeah. yeah, that for sure. I I want to understand evil and like psychopathy and yeah. and and that I have all these fake Twitter accounts where I like go into different algorithmic bu bubbles to try to like understand. Awesome. I'll keep getting in fights with people and realize we're not actually fighting. I think we're we used to exist in a monoculture like before social media and stuff. Like we kind of all got fed the same thing, so we were all speaking the same cultural language. But I think recently one of the things that like we aren't diagnosing properly enough with social media is that um. There's different dialects. There's so many different dialects of Chinese. There are now becoming different dialects of English. Like I am realizing like there are people who are saying the exact same things, but they're using completely different verbiage. And we're like punishing each other for not using the correct verbiage. And we're completely misunderstanding. Like people are just like misunderstanding what the other people are saying. And like, like I just got in a fight with a friend um, about like anarchism and, and, and communism and shit for like two hours and then by the end of the conversation like and then she'd say something and i'm like but that's literally what i'm saying and she yeah. was like what what and then and then i was like fuck we've different re i'm like we're our english like the way we are understanding terminology is like drastically like our algorithm bubbles are <laughs> are creating mini di dialects and and of how language is interpreted of, of how, how language is used that's so fascinating and so we're like having these arguments that we do not need to be having and there's polarization that's happening that doesn't need to be happening because we've got these like algorithmically created um uh, uh dialects occurring plus on top of that there's also different parts of the world that speak different languages so there's literally lost in translation kind of communication i happen to know the russian language and I just know how different it is yeah 
um, than the English language. And I just wonder how much is lost in, in a little bit of... Man, I actually, because I have a question for you. I have a song coming out tomorrow with I Speak, who are a Russian band. And I, I, nice. speak, I speak a little bit of Russian. And I was looking at the title. And the title in English doesn't match the title in Russian. I, I'm curious about this because, look, it says... What's the English The name? title in English is Last Day. And then the title in Russian is Nyovi... My pronunciation sucks. Nyovi Dien. Like yeah, what? New Day. A new Day. Yeah, yeah, new day, new day. Like it's two different. Meanings. But, but yeah, yeah, new day, yeah. Wait, I... Uh, yeah, yeah, new day. Yeah. New day, but last day. Uh, новый день. So last day would be последний день. Yeah. Maybe they. Yeah, well, or day's... maybe the title includes both the Russian and the and the, and it's for. Well, maybe. Maybe. It's for, maybe it's for bilingual. But to be honest, новый день sounds better than uh, just um musically What's like a. Novi Dien is New Day. Yeah. That's the current one. And Pasledni Dien is the last day. Uh, I think Novi Dien. Boy, I don't like Novi Dien. But the, like the meaning is so different. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> That's no, kind of awesome, actually. Though. Yeah. There's, a, there's an explicit sort of contrast like that. Um, if everyone on earth disappeared and it was just you left, um, what would your day look like? Like, what would you do? Everybody's dead. As far are as you... are there corpses there? <laughs> well, seriously, uh, it's a big. Let, di- let me a, think through this. It's uh, a big but... difference if there's just like birds singing versus if there's like corpses littering the street. Yeah, there's corpses everywhere. I'm sorry. It's and you don't actually know what happened, and you don't know why you survived, and you don't even know if there's others out there. But it seems clear that it's all gone. What would you do? What would I do? Listen, I'm somebody who really enjoys the moment, enjoys life. I would just go on, like, enjoying the inanimate objects. I would just uh, look for food, basic survival. But most of it is just, listen, when I just, I, I take walks and I look outside and I'm just happy that we get to exist on this planet to be able to breathe air. It's just all beautiful. It's full of colors, all of this kind of stuff. Just there's so many things about life, your own life, conscious life that's fucking awesome. So I would just enjoy that. But also, maybe after a few weeks, the engineer would start coming out, like want to build some things. Maybe there's always hope, searching for another human. Maybe probably searching for another human probably trying to get to a TV or radio station and broadcast something. I yeah. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. So like really yeah. uh, uh, maximize your ability to connect with others. Yeah. I like probably try to find an, another person. Would you be excited to see, to meet another person or terrified? Because you know, Exc- I, I'd be excited, even if no they. No matter what. Yeah, 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 yeah. Being alone for 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 the last however long of my life would be really bad. That's the one instance I might. I don't think I'd kill myself, but I might kill myself if I had to undergo. So you that. love people. You love connection to other humans. Yeah, I kind of hate people too, but I. Yeah. That's a, a love hate relationship. Yeah, I feel like this is. I feel like we had a bunch of like weird Nietzsche questions and stuff. Though. Oh yeah! Like, like I wonder because I'm like when podcast like I'm like is this interesting for people to just have like per- or or I don't know maybe people do like this. I'm when I listen to podcasts I'm into like the lore like the hard lore like I I just love like Dan Carlin I'm like give me the facts just like get just, yeah, yeah, like, yeah like the facts into my bloodstream. But you also don't know 
like your fascinating mind to explore. So you don't realize as you're talking about stuff, the stuff you've taken for granted is actually unique and fascinating. The way you think, not always what, like the way you reason through things is the yes. fascinating thing okay. to, to listen to, listen to, because people kind of see, oh, there's other humans that think differently, that explore thoughts differently. That's the cool, that's that's yeah. also cool. So yeah, Dan Carlin retelling of history. By the way, his retelling of history is very, I think what's exciting is not the history, is his way of thinking about history. No, I, I think Dan Carlin is one of the people, like when Dan Carlin is one of the people that really started getting me excited about like revolutionizing education because like Dan Carlin instills, instilled I already like really like liked history, but he instilled like an obsessive love of history in me to the point where like now I'm fucking reading like like going to bed reading like part four of the rise and fall of the Third Reich or whatever. Like I like I'm like dense ass history, but like like he like opened that door that like made me want to be a scholar of that topic. Like it, it's like I, I feel like he's such a good teacher. He just like you know, and and it sort of made me feel like one of the things we could do with education is like find like the world's great, the teachers that like create passion for the topic because autodidacticism, I don't know how to say that properly, but like self-teaching is like much faster than being lectured to. Like mm -hmm. it's much more efficient to sort of like be able to teach yourself and then ask a teacher questions when you don't know what's up. But like, you know, that's why it's like in university and stuff, like you can learn so much more material so much faster because you're doing a lot of the learning on your own and you're going to the teachers for when you get stuck. But um, like these teachers that can inspire passion for a topic, I think that is one of the most invaluable skills in our whole species. Like, because if you can do that, then you, it's like AI, like AI is going to teach itself so much more efficiently than we can teach it. We just needed to get it to the point where it can teach itself. And then- <laughs> It f finds the motivation to do so, right? Yeah. So and, like you inspire it to do so. Yeah. And then it could, it, it, could, it could teach itself. What do you make of the fact, you mentioned Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. I just- Have you uh, read that? Yeah, read it twice. And you so- You read it twice? Yes. Okay, so no one even knows what it what it is. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm like, wait, I thought this was like a super popping book. <laughs> super pop. I, I'm- I'm not like it's that. I'm, I'm not that far in it, but it is. It's so interesting. Yeah, uh, um, it's written by a person that was there, which is uh, very important to kind of. You know, you start being like, "How could this possibly happen?" And then when you read Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, it's like people tried really hard for this to not happen. People tried. They almost reinstated a monarchy at one point to try to stop this from happening. Like they almost like like so, abandoned democracy to try to get this to not happen. At least the way it makes me feel is that there's a bunch of small moments on which history can turn. Yes. It's like small meetings, yes, human yeah. interactions. And it that's both terrifying and inspiring because it's like um even just attempts at ass assassinating Hitler like time and time again failed. Oh, and they was were it so like close. Valkyrie? Mm -hmm. Such a good <laughs> and, oh. and then there's also also the role of that's a really heavy burden, which is that from a geopolitical perspective, the role of leaders to see evil before it truly becomes evil, to anticipate it and to stand up to evil. Because uh, evil is actually pretty rare in this world at a scale that Hitler was. We tend to, you know, in the modern discourse, kind of call people evil too quickly. But if you look at ancient history, 
like there was a ton of Hitlers. I I, I actually think it's more the norm than like again going back to like my sort of intelligent design theory. I think one of the things we've been successfully doing in our slow move from survival of the fittest to intelligent design is we've kind of been eradicating like if you look at like ancient Assyria and stuff like that shit was like brutal and just like the heads on the like like brutal like de- like Genghis Khan just like genocide after genocide after genocide there's like throwing plague bodies over the walls and decimating whole cities or like like the Muslim conquests of like Damascus and shit just like people cities used to get leveled all the fucking time okay get into the bronze age collapse <laughs> it's basically there was like almost like roman level like society like there was like all over the world like global trade like everything was awesome through a mix of i think a bit of climate change and then the development of iron because basically bronze could only come from this uh the way to make bronze like everything had to be funneled through this one iranian um mine and so it's like there was just this one supply chain and and this is one of the things that makes me worried about supply chains and why i think we need to be so thoughtful about i think our biggest issue with society right now like the the thing that is most likely to go wrong is probably supply chain collapse, you know, because war, climate change, whatever, like anything that causes supply chain collapse, our population is too big to handle that. And like the thing that seems to cause dark ages is mass supply chain collapse. But the, the Bronze Age collapse happened um, like uh, it, it was sort of like this ancient collapse that happened where li- like literally like um, – ancient Egypt, all these cities, everything just got like decimated, destroyed, abandoned cities, like hundreds of them. There was like a flourishing society. Like we were almost coming to modernity and everything got leveled and they had this mini dark ages, but it was just like, there's so little writing or recording from that time that like, there isn't a lot of information about the bronze age collapse, but it was basically equivalent to like medieval, the medieval dark ages, but it just happened. I'm not gonna, I don't know the years, but like thousands of years earlier. And then um, we sort of like recovered from the Bronze Age, age collapse. Empire reemerged, writing and trade and everything reemerged. Um, you know, and then we of course had the more contemporary Dark Ages. Um, and then over time, we've designed mechanism to lessen and lessen the capability for the destructive uh, there, there's so power much, centers to yeah. emerge. There, there, there's, there's more recording about the the more contemporary dark ages. So I think we have like a better understanding of how to avoid it, but I still think we're at high high risk for it. I think that's one of the big the big risks right so now. So the na- natural state of being for humans is for there to be a lot of Hitlers. We just gotten really good at making it h- hard for them to emerge. We've gotten better at collaboration yes. and resisting the power, like authoritarians to come to power. We're trying to go country by country, like we're moving past this. We're kind of like slowly, incrementally, like moving like moving towards like not scary old school war yeah. stuff. And I think seeing it happen in in some of the countries that at least nominally are like, supposed to have moved past that that's scary because it reminds us that it can happen yeah. like in 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 the places that have made like moved past supposedly as hopefully moved past that and possibly at a civilization level like you said supply chain collapse might make people resource constrained might make people desperate angry hateful violent and drag us right back in i mean supply chain collapse is how like the ultimate thing that caused the Middle Ages was supply chain collapse. It's like people, because people were reliant on a certain level of technology, like people, like you look at like Britain, like they had glass, like people had 
um, aqueducts. People had like indoor heating and cooling and like running water and like buy food from all over the world and trade and markets. Like people don't didn't know how to hunt and forage and gather. And so we're in a similar situation. We are not educated enough to survive without technology. So if we have a supply chain collapse that like limits our um, access to technology, there will be like mass starvation and violence and and displacement and war. Like like you know, it's also it like yeah. In my opinion, it's like the primary marker of of dark, like what a dark age is. Well, technology is kind of enabling us to be more resilient uh, in terms of supply chain, in terms of to, to all the different yeah. catastrophs, catastrophic events that happen to us. Although the pandemic has kind of challenged our preparedness for. Um, the catastrophic. What do you think is the coolest invention humans come up with? The wheel, fire, cooking meat. Compute computers. Like computers. Freaking computers. Internet or computers? Which one? What did you think the previous technologies? I mean, may have even been more profound and moved us to a certain degree, but I think the computers are what make us homo techno. I think this is what yeah. it's a brain augmentation. And and so it like allows for actual evolution. Like the computers accelerate the degree to which all the other technologies can also be accelerated. Would you classify yourself as a Homo sapien or a Homo techno? Definitely Homo techno. So you're, I think you're we're early, all. I, you're you're one of the early of the species. I, I think most of us are. Like I, I like as I said. Like I think if you, um, like looked at brain scans of us versus um. Mm humans a hundred years ago, it would look very different. I, I think we are physiologically different. Just even the interaction with the devices has changed our brains. And, well, and, and if you look at, um, a lot of studies are coming out to show that like there, there's a degree of inherited memory. So some of these physiological changes in theory should be, we should be passing them on. So like that's, you know, that's not like a, an instance of physiological change that's going to fizzle out in theory that should progress like to our offspring. Speaking of offspring, what advice would you give to a young person, like in high school, um, whether there be an artist, a creative, an engineer, a uh, any kind of career path, or maybe just life in general, how they can live a life they can be proud of? I think one of my big thoughts, and like especially now having kids, is that um, I, I don't think we spend enough time teaching creativity and I think creativity is a muscle like other things. And there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, learn how to play the piano and then you can write a song or like learn the technical stuff and then you, you can do a thing. But I, I think it's um, like I, I have a friend who's like world's greatest guitar player, um, like, you know, amazing sort of like producer, works with other people. But he he's really sort of like, you know, he like engineers and records things and like does solos, but he doesn't really like make his own music. And I was talking to him and I was like, dude, you're so talented at music. Like, why don't you make music or whatever? And he was like, because I got, I'm too old. I never learned the creative muscle. And it's like, you know, it's embarrassing. It's like learning the creative muscle uh, takes a lot of failure. And it also sort of, you're if when you're being creative, you know, you're throwing paint at a wall and a lot of stuff will fail. So like part of it is a, like a tolerance for failure and humiliation. And that's, um, somehow that's easier to develop when you're young. Uh, yeah. Or, or be persist through it when you're young. Every, everything is easier, easier to develop yes, like, true. when you're young. And the, 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 uh, true. Yes. And, and, and the younger, so, the better. Uh, it could destroy you. I mean, that's the, the shitty thing about creativity. If, you know, 
A failure could destroy you if you're not careful, but that's a risk worth taking. But also, maybe. but at a young age, developing a tolerance to failure is sure. is good. I fail all of the time. Like I do stupid shit all the time. Like in public, in private, I get canceled for. I I have make all kind of mistakes, but I just like am very resilient about making mistakes. And so then, like I do a lot of things that like other people wouldn't do. And like I think my greatest asset is my creativity. And I like I think pain like tolerance to failure is just a super essential thing that should be taught before other things. Brilliant advice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish everybody encouraged sort of failure more uh as opposed to kind of because we like punish failure yeah, we're we'll like no it. we're no like when we were teaching kids we're like no that's wrong like that's you know uh like x keeps like will be like wrong like he'll say like crazy things like <laughs> x keeps being like like bubble car bubble car and i'm like and you know i'm like what's a bubble car like but like it doesn't like but i don't want to be like no you're wrong i'm like you're thinking of weird, yeah. crazy shit. Like, I don't know what a bubble car is, but like. He's creating worlds and they might be internally consistent. And through that, he might discover something fundamental about this. World. Yeah. Or he'll like rewrite songs like where, with words that he prefers. So like instead of baby shark, he says baby car. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe he's onto something. Uh, let me ask the big ridiculous question. We were kind of dancing around it, but. Uh, what do you think is the meaning of this whole thing we have here uh, of human civilization, of life on earth, but in general, just life? What's the meaning of life? See. Have you, did you read uh, Novacine yet by James Lovelock? You're doing a lot of really good book recommendations here. I haven't even finished this, so I'm a huge fraud yet again. Um, but like really early in the book, um, he says this amazing thing like i feel like everyone's so sad and cynical like everyone's like the fermi paradox and everyone i just keep hearing people being like fuck like, what if we're alone like oh no ah like ah ah and and i'm like okay but like wait what if this is the beginning like in novacine he says um i'm this is not gonna be a correct because I, I can't like memorize quotes but uh, he says says something like um uh what if our consciousness like right now like this is the universe waking up? Like, what if instead of discovering the universe, this is the universe, like, this is the evolution of the little literal universe herself. Like, we are not separate from the universe. Like, this is the universe waking up. This is the universe seeing herself for the first time. Like, this is... Um, the universe becoming conscious for yeah, the first time and we're part of that. Yeah, because it's like, we aren't separate from the universe. Like, like this could be a, like an incredibly sacred moment. And maybe, like, social media and all these things... The, the stuff where we're all getting connected together like maybe this these are the neurons connecting of the like collective super intelligence that is you know waking up the the yeah like like you know it's like maybe instead of something cynical or maybe if there's something to discover like maybe this is just you know we're a blastocyst of of like some incredible kind of consciousness or, or being and just like in the first three years of life or for human children, we'll forget about all the suffering that we're going through now. I think we'll probably forget about this. I mean, probably, you know, artificial intelligence will eventually render us obsolete. I don't think they'll do it in a um, malicious way, but I think probably we are very weak. The sun is expanding. Like, I don't know, like, hopefully we can get to Mars, but like, we're, we're pretty vulnerable. And I, I, you know, like, I think we can coexist for a long time with AI and 
we can also probably make ourselves less vulnerable, but you know, I just think um, consciousness, sentience, self-awareness, like I think this might be the single greatest like moment in evolution ever. And like, maybe this is, you know, the be- like the true beginning of 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 life and we're just we're we're, we're the blue green algae or we're like the, we're, we're like the <laughs> yeah. single celled organisms of of yeah. something amazing the universe awakens and this is this is it yeah well uh see you're an incredible pe- person you're a fascinating mind um you should definitely do your friend live mentioned that you guys were thinking of maybe talking i would love it if you um, explored your mind in this kind of medium more and more by doing a podcast with her or just in any kind of way so you're you're an awesome person it's an honor to know you it's an honor to get to sit down with you late at night which is like surreal um and i really enjoyed it thank you for talking today yeah no i mean huge honor i feel very underqualified to be here but i'm a big fan i've been listening to the podcast a lot and yeah me and Liv would appreciate any advice and help and we're definitely gonna do that so um, uh yeah anytime thank you cool thank yeah. you thanks for listening to this conversation with grimes to support this podcast please check out our sponsors in the description and now let me leave you with some words from oscar wilde yes i'm a dreamer for a dreamer is one who can only find her way by moonlight and her punishment is that she sees the dawn before the rest of the world. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.